Welcome to Influencer Business, where influencers get help with the hard stuff. Think of us as your business Bible. We're a team of influencers and entrepreneurs dedicated to bringing professional resources and infrastructure to our community. I'm Rich Gudelari, CEO of Trove. I'm an entrepreneur focused on helping influencers run and grow their businesses with the resources and information they need. I host this podcast as well as a live webinar called Office Hours, which takes place every Wednesday. Here, I dig deeper into each weekly topic and answer all of your most pressing questions. Our weekly podcast features guests from across the professional landscape, sharing their experiences and advice and answering questions from the Trove community, which you can submit on our website at www.trovebusiness.com. Welcome back to Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Gudlari. Very excited to have you with us here this week. We have an amazing episode lined up for you. We are being joined by Kimu Lee, the CEO of Activate, a marketplace for creators and marketers where they can meet and collaborate together. An awesome conversation between the two of us. We get down some rabbit holes and off on some tangents, but all really relevant to influencers and brand marketers out there looking to make it in this crazy world. But before we get to the interview with Camus, I want to make a quick ask of you who listen to the podcast. If you like what you hear on the podcast, give us that five-star rating and leave us a glowing review. We always appreciate it. With that out of the way and without any further ado, let's get to our conversation with Camus. Camus, thanks so much for joining us today on Influencer Business. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about Activate and kind of your platform, what it does for influencers, what it does for brands. Yeah. So Activate, we are a marketplace for creators as well as for marketers. Mm -hmm. Um, I say marketers specifically because we have media companies, agencies, and individual brands that are on the platform looking to collaborate in different ways with influencers. And the platform acts as, you know, certainly a platform to discover each other, work with one another, but also workflow, the support for all of the the nitty gritty that it takes Mm -hmm. to kind of get a successful program off the ground. Yeah. Got it. So if I'm a brand and I am trying to figure out what this influencer marketing thing is all about, (laughs) Activate can help me in a variety of different ways, right? Yeah. You know, as a company, Activate, we certainly have the platform at the core. Mm -hmm. We have an opt-in base of Mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of creators on the platform that are authenticated. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of data to kind of show, you know, who you might want to partner with. But we also have what we call the Activate Studio Team. Sure, It's our internal innovation team that helps brands think about well, how do you set up your influencer strategy? Sure. How do you think about ideating a program? Mm-hmm. What is the content strategy? What platforms should you be thinking about? Yeah. And obviously, which influencers you should be working sure, with? Yeah. How should pricing work? Yeah. What's the cadence of the content? Usage rights? There's kind of unlimited questions. And so yeah. we're providing that consultancy, essentially, yeah. for the brands yeah. if they need it. Yeah. Many of our partners are just kind of running with it sure. and using the platform, and we love that. So yeah. so we're there to kind of support from a technology standpoint yeah. as well as from a human standpoint. Right. So you don't just hand them a platform and say, hey, go have fun. You actually provide them with services as well to help them optimize their programs and their campaigns. Yeah, optimize the program, but also optimize for a successful kind of relationship with the creators. Right. So it's important to us that a program or a collaboration that takes off on the Activate platform, that we're taking into account the influencer's point of view yeah. as well, mm-hmm. um, because they're someone that have, you know, spent 
a lot of time building content, testing that content against an audience. They have a point of view around Mm -hmm. what may work and what may not work. And they also have their personal stories to share. So Mm -hmm. we want to make sure we're bringing that into the fold beyond just providing a tool to push content out there. Yeah. I mean, this obviously this area of the industry is exploding, right? Influencers have kind of changed the face of digital marketing. Mm. Why is it important for there to be platforms like Activate for both brands and influencers? So if we went back four years ago, I remember distinctly sitting in the room with, you know, a number of beauty brands and fashion (laughs) brands, and they all kind of named the same influencers that they wanted to work with. There was like a Mm -hmm. handful that just kind of came up again and and again. And while those creators continue to build their businesses today, many of whom who've moved on to do kind of their own, build their own brands, build their, you know, uh, businesses. What we are seeing right now is an explosion in kind of the expansion of the base of creators that Mm -hmm. are really receiving opportunities and really partnering with brands. Mm -hmm. Someone, you know, right now we we just finished a six-month collaboration, a dating app that was working with 270 creators, different tiers of creators. Mm -hmm. Now, if you think about that, how can you systematically and thoughtfully vet who you partner with yeah. as a brand? How do you mm-hmm. think about, you know... How can uh, you find that many influencers? How do you find that many? <laughs> how do you make sure they're all available for the flight dates? I right. mean, there's the practical nature of, like, sure, how do you actually, yeah. like, connect the dots? Yeah. But then also, like, is the audience relevant? Is the content quality there? Right, Is yeah. this someone that can embody your brand? All of those things, you know, in order for you to really execute at scale, and that's certainly where the industry has come and the demands of more measurement and more transparency, mm-hmm. that is where technology can be really helpful sure. so that neither side, the influencer side or the marketer side is spending you know, all hours kind of manually collecting data and, yeah. and sending it back and forth in Excel spreadsheets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, trying to kind of coordinate with 270 different influencers for a campaign and exchanging, talking about rates, talking mm-hmm. about exclusivity, things like that, be really hard over email or text or what you know whatever other <laughs> form of communication but one of the things that we've talked actually a lot about on the podcast is the importance of personal relationships mm. vis-a-vis the brands and the influencers right so what role does activate play in that right is it too transactional how do you guys make it so that it's not just a transaction so to speak as a platform it's very easy to get transactional mm-hmm. things that we have done to build into the platform to be able to allow influencers to really tell their story for most collaborations that are launched on the platform, we ask for, well, one, we ask that, you know, only a certain subset of creators are invited into those programs. Those influencers can then raise their hand to say, I am really relevant for this brand because I've been using this brand for two years or my grandmother was Mm -hmm. using this beauty brand. (laughs) That's seriously, you know, something that we've pulled through. Or I'm someone that talking through a key life moment, you know, and, you know, an influencer is is able to share that they're purchasing a home in the next six months. Yeah. And that's why they're relevant for this home insurance brand. So those are the types of things that we want to tease mm-hmm. out and enable. Yeah. Right now, those things are happening in a very manual matter, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, someone picks up the phone or DMs someone and you go back and forth. And sure. it's hugely inefficient for yeah. both the influencer and the brand. Yeah. If we're able to kind of enable that sort of information sharing on the platform to 
have an informed, like, okay, this is the right influencer to partner with, that is the beginning of, you know, successful discovery of, yeah. of the right partner. It's so interesting, though, because it's not just about discovery of the right influencer, but it's discovery of the right influencer at the right time. Correct. You're talking about buying a house. Yes. If I am Street Easy or if I am Zillow yeah. or I am what, Trulia, any of these, <laughs> you know, different platforms, and I'm looking to connect with influencers, I want to connect with ones that are actually having those life moments mm-hmm. now because that organic partnership is going to s- perform so much better. Yeah, and and that's happening, you know, certainly at the higher tiers for, for sure. influencers that are rep by talent managers, right. right? You know, you pick up the phone, you email the talent manager, you get some of that information, but there's a whole host of creators that are not rep by talent managers today or self-represented that also can share those stories, it's virtually impossible to gather those stories at scale and be able to take advantage of that as a brand. And that is, you know, one thing that we really hope to enable. Because the the quality of the content is not, or excuse me, the number of followers you have doesn't indicate the quality of the content that you produce. Some small influencers with a couple thousand followers or even, you know, a few tens of thousands of followers will create content that's better than influencers with millions of followers. And uncovering those gems is really really important and can be quite impactful from mm-hmm. a brand's perspective. Well, there's, you know, there's a whole group of, you know, everyone talks about like, oh, macro influencers or micro influencers, yeah. but there's a whole host of, you know, what we call like tastemakers, folks yeah. that may, you know, if you just look at the follower account, it's, you know, it might be a micro influencer, right. but they're actually a celebrity stylist and yeah. their following is hugely influential <laughs> the in their right own right. The right people are following them. Yeah, exactly. And you want to target that for the right activation. So that is something we, we certainly think a lot about. It's not all about the follower count. Right. I do think at a certain point, I think earlier this year, there was this whole movement, a lot of questions and interest in, in nano influencers. Right. We've yeah. certainly activated programs with lots of nano influencers. It, mm-hmm. it, it may make sense in certain cases, especially mm-hmm. if you're doing like really hyper local things. Before you, before you move any further, <laughs> when, how do you classify nano? Under like... 10,000 in following, okay. you know, we're so talking like 5,000. Yeah, probably. I have, I have How many like, do you have? I don't know, 800 or 900? Okay. Would I be a nano or am You I... have more followers than me, so that's pretty good. <laughs> I have 700. Let's go follow she <laughs> No, should... please don't. <laughs> You're just going to see pictures of my dog, so. <laughs> um, yeah. But there's a certain point where that creator just hasn't created enough content over time to really create that quality, that level of quality. So you do lose that after Mm -hmm. a certain level. But depending on what you're looking to do, sometimes it makes sense. um, Sometimes it does not. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. But discovery is not only important for the brands looking to find these influencers, it's also important for the influencers. Mm -hmm. Because what Google brought us was the organization of the internet, right? We could go on and find the websites we want to find. Now we're in this phase where brands are looking to find the influencers that they want to work with and they want to partner with and influencers want to be found. Yeah. So how does Activate play a role in that? So to facilitate discovery they can choose to connect whichever social accounts they want to, you know, so if they are influential on YouTube only, maybe they only connect their YouTube channel across all the different channels, Google Analytics, if they have a blog, 
mm-hmm. uh, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, etc. We also allow you to input information that's special to you. So, sure, yeah. for example, if you host a podcast, we like for that information to be there. Sounds um, like I should sign up for Activate. <laughs> there you go. Um, you would be a nano influencer with a podcast. Nano, um, nano influencer, yeah. <laughs> and... There's also information that's automatically pulled on your behalf so that you're mm-hmm. not always updating your own metrics, you know, okay. with regards yeah. to following, your audiences, mm-hmm. um, you know, engagement rates. Um, it pulls in kind of previews of your content so they can kind of get a sense of the direction, the aesthetic sure. that you're able to, you know, put out there. Mm-hmm. Um there's a whole host of, you know, being able to see audience insights, you know, it, within your audience. Um, mm-hmm. You know, is there a lot of folks that are really into sports or sure. are there a lot of folks that are really into, mm-hmm. I don't know, shopping, whatever it may be, yeah. being able to pull that, retailer affinities. So yeah. there's a lot of information that if a brand starts kind of like coming after you and asking you for this information, it might yeah. be hard for you to gather on your own as right. an influencer. Sure. We're able to surface that. Nice. And then the other piece of it for discovery is really also that hand-raising element. Yeah. Being able to share that, that has been really powerful. We're seeing more and more brands, you know, they don't just want to work with a fashion influencer or right. a food, you know, blogger or whatever. Sure. They want to understand how is this influencer relevant for my brand mm-hmm. and this particular activation and yeah. how can we connect it as tightly as possible. Yeah. So we want to be able to facilitate that level of discovery yeah. with the platform. Mm-hmm. Other things that we do for discovery, we have someone on our team that is solely focused on really curating um, what we call micro-communities of sure. influencers on the Activate platform. Yeah. So we have bilingual Spanish-speaking influencer group. Sure. We have... That um, is, yeah, you start to... The Venn diagram starts to get quite small there, but with several hundred thousand influencers on your platform, you can build that mm-hmm. the Venn diagram in a way that a platform with maybe only a couple thousand can't. Yes, for yeah. for sure. You know, Brides-to-be, which is a timely right. one, but, you know, that changes over time. Mm-hmm. We've built that out as a, as a group. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, like, various ethnicities, folks that are conservationists, sure. really passionate, about certain key causes. Yeah. So just to give you a sense of like the different layers at which you can group folks into, yeah. this has been built based on demand. We, we are mm-hmm. seeing kind of trends in terms of what brands are looking for and we build out these groups. Right. And through that, informed by kind of data on the platform, we want to make sure that as a brand coming onto the platform, you're able to really tap into these communities very efficiently. And you're trying to, so you're, you're saying this is built upon demand. Have you seen the results play out that those campaigns done with this very kind of smallish Venn diagram mm. where it's very specific do better than just the generic campaigns? Yes. So being able to tell that personal story or being able to get very specific about Mm -hmm. a brand. So for example, we might do a kickoff a casting where we're looking for someone that is a long-term, already a customer of a certain brand. Yeah. So they can actually talk through why they've been using. We don't even need to brief them on yeah. the value prop of, of the brand. Yeah. That has been hugely successful in yeah. terms of, you know, being able to get that kind of story through. Yeah. So it's not just, hey, try this product or hey, mm-hmm. like buy this, use my promo right, code. Right. They're actually like over time talking about right. the key value props of, of what this right. product so is. So their followers like, hey, you know I've been a huge fan of yeah. Diet Coke for the last 20 years. <laughs> I have it with every meal. Yeah. I can tell the story in the value prop because I've told it 20 times, 200 times before. 
Especially for like subscriptions and things like yeah. that. Like yeah. I've been subscribing to this, you know, whatever, this right. box or this, mm-hmm. you know, this this product over time. So yeah. high commitment things like, you know, a high dollar value product, that sort of deep connection with the influencer starts to really come into play. I'm going to be a cynic here for a second. Mm-hmm. How do you wade through the people posing as longtime subscribers or longtime listeners or longtime, you know, Customers Totally. Um, so what we will typically do if we're doing that kind of casting where we're going really deep into like, okay, we're, we're asking for long-term, you know, mm-hmm. customers of, yeah. of a brand. We will actually ask like, hey, have you posted about this brand before? Yeah. How far back did you post? Can you share those links with us? Uh, um, some will submit them, some won't, some won't but that's Red part, of the, vetting, <laughs> that's part right. of the vetting process, yeah, you know? Absolutely. And it may be that there's a couple of influencers that get pulled into the program that maybe were only, you know, recently customers but we sure. feel that their content quality is super high and we we see that you know performance on prior programs have been really strong yeah and that's still that's still okay sure, um, yeah. but we want that as part of our casting lens and and, and being thoughtful and systematic about it yeah, yeah. absolutely on the brand, because we were talking about this earlier you said you had some crazy number of applicants for a recent campaign mm. you guys did how do you even just start to make decisions as a brand, right? I get a couple thousand responses yeah. to an RFP I put out. Yeah. How, I mean, how do I wade through that many? If I've got a team of two on the influencer marketing team at Brand totally. XYZ, yeah. how do I start to wade through those? Do you guys help? What, what are some of the tools in place on the brand side that help me get to the best 270 influencers to work with? Yeah, so we, um, so you know, at the onset of a program, especially for someone that's new on the platform, a brand that's new on the platform, yeah. we try to understand, okay, this initial collaboration, how many influencers are you looking to hire at the end of the day? Who is your ideal target? Yeah. Um, um, influencer archetype, you know, what is your casting lens around this? And we will recommend the best approach to launch this program. You may only be launching to a small subset of the network. Mm-hmm. We actually typically don't recommend that you launch something to everyone on the oh, network okay. because it's such a huge, you know, it's yeah. a huge base. <laughs> you just so, drown. <laughs> um, unless yeah. you really want to scale it out yeah. um, or if you have a very niche question. If you're a glutton for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> we want to get, obviously, enough selects applying and raising their hands saying not only are they the right fit for this program right. and, and fit you know everything they're looking for, but they're also not working with a competitor. They're mm-hmm. also available during this flight date. Like they're not traveling during this time. Like yeah. all of that, like making sure that's part of it. Mm-hmm. They, and they are agreeing and understanding what the scope of work is and sure. what, what you're asking for. Yeah. Um, so if you're asking for a YouTube video with like perpetual rights, but you don't want to... You only want to give product. Right. Like we will provide guidance essentially that mm-hmm. that you're not going to get a great reception for that. Yeah. But you know, on the other hand, if you could be gifting product, you know, a two hundred dollar piece of jewelry or whatever the product is, right, right. and you're asking for mid tier creators or or micro influencers to go in store, you'll get a pretty strong you know reception to that. Sure, yeah. So we usually like initially we'll kind of talk through that a little bit with mm-hmm. with the with the brand. We've also built some of that guidance onto the platform as yeah. well, mm-hmm. and that's something that we're constantly thinking about. Like how do we make sure there's an optimal kind of match between yeah. the the creator and and 
the brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's really important because it's hard, right? Because yeah. on one on one hand, you're trying to create a personal connection. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you're trying to do it at scale. Yeah, right, which is incredibly difficult to do. Yeah, uh, and it takes a lot of work. And you know, you, well, you just launched a, a new tool called uh, Influencer Relationship Management, right? Mm-hmm. IRM. Mm-hmm. How does that play into kind of the scaling a personal kind of connection and relationship? Yeah. So you know, in working with brands, you know, we've we've learned a lot about one over time if you're serious about working with influencers you will have worked with influencers at events you have had them create content with you you may have had them host an event for you like there's a lot of different things that may have you know different types of collaborations you may have various lists you'll mm-hmm. have different people on different teams with different lists the right. brand team has a list the PR team has a list yeah. we want to have a centralized place for you to kind of really store all of that sure. any specific notes that you have you know you know that this influencer is really strong Strong at public speaking, and so yeah. therefore she's someone that you want kind of hosting your events. Yeah. You know that she's someone that is great with video. You know, there's elements like that that you can mm-hmm. start tracking custom pieces of information. We even have some brands that want to just collect, like, you know, shoe size, for example, yeah. so that, you know, when the, their birthday comes around, they mm-hmm. want to ship them, you know, a birthday gift with the right shoe size. So yeah. um, that's the initial kind of, you know, you, when you set up your IRM, you start building that out. And so that within your marketing team, everyone has access to the same information. So yeah. if you're running different collaborations, you're able to do that. Yeah. And then beyond that, as you're tapping into our network to bring them into the fold for collaborations, they get automatically pulled into your IRM. You mm-hmm. figure out who has uh, applied yep. to to programs and maybe you haven't accepted them in the past. Maybe sure. they're just like people that you want to keep track of and maybe sure. work with in the future. Mm-hmm. Um you can easily filter for who you've already worked with and maybe that wasn't the best partnership and you don't want to work with them again. So the idea is to really keep track. Mm -hmm. We're working with brands, some who are working with thousands of influencers a month, some that are working with five a month. Either way, being able to have a centralized place to store Mm -hmm. all of this information, store your contracts, store your, uh, you know, specific briefs that you may have put out. You're not rolling through hundreds of different emails trying to track down contracts, specific versions of contracts. <laughs> that I mean, that's crazy. And it's also really interesting. People often miss this. Like there's the PR team, the marketing team, the influencer marketing team. There, there's so many different people. people, especially in these large organizations that it just gets crazy trying to manage all of it. And, cr- you know, cross-team collaboration is a nightmare. You know, you think uh, negotiating with an influencer is hard. What about just getting on the same page as a team? Well, I mean, we've heard of within the same organization, two different people working with the same influencer and paying different rates for things, <laughs> right? And like, that's to, crazy. like, you know, so like that's the type of thing that can totally happen mm-hmm. if you're just not being systematic about it. Yeah. One thing we haven't talked about yet is kind of injecting talent managers into this whole equation, right? Mm. We've kind of just talked about it uh, as, hey, the brands and the influencers are working together. But there's another element of this. More and more influencers are being represented by talent managers. Yeah. How does that impact the communication flow? What do you guys do to facilitate that? Because talent managers are an important part of this ecosystem now. For sure. Very important part of the ecosystem. Um, what we have found, you know, initially, I think our platform um, was more so kind of mid-tier micro-influencers. Yeah. We're increasingly seeing talent that, is repped that are repped, um, right. you know, being are signing up either on their own or actually their talent managers are signing them up yeah. on the platform. Mm-hmm. And, and why, so, why is that happening? 
I would say there's a certain volume of opportunities yeah. that if you're not there, mm-hmm. you're just missing out on. Right. Um, yeah. You know, like if, if, if a brand is looking for, I don't know, like a, a pharma brand is looking for someone that's been suffering from eczema and also a fashion influencer, you know, whatever it is, yeah. like you may be perfect for that and you're just not there and you're not yeah. seeing it. So, I think it's interesting because a lot of people think about influencers are folks who work with like fashion, beauty, and lifestyle. Like that's kind of like the influencer niche, but that's a great example. If you've struggled with eczema, we've got the drug for you, right? You know, I I took this and it helped change my life. I mean, that's a wonderful story to be able to tell as a pharma company, right? And that's just so different from what, I don't know, the last five to 10 years have been on the influencer marketing front. No, for sure. And like we're seeing these verticals, you know, financial services, healthcare, pharma, coming into the scene and working Mm -hmm. with creators and, they're harder, it's a harder collaboration to set up because like, how do you talk about insurance, right? And how do you talk about, like, so, but yeah. it really needs to connect to someone personally in order to effectively yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It would be odd for someone to talk about insurance, like, a, oh, like, check out this insurance product and yeah. these are the features. Like, that's not how influencers can talk about insurance. Right, so, right. Um, in fact, most people have really negative stories <laughs> when it comes to insurance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, there's, um, I haven't seen, like, a ton with pet insurance, but I think there's oh, so geez. many pets yeah. and right. influencers with pets that there's yeah. certainly a lot of a lot of opportunity there for, oh, for, sure. for kind of, like, the pet industry. If yeah. you're listening to this and you are involved in a pet insurance company, <laughs> hit up Activate. They'll hook you up with a lot of influencers who need pet insurance. <laughs> No, I think it's it's really interesting to see kind of this. So we're getting back to the conversation, like talent managers, mm. injecting them into this process. Does it complicate things beyond kind of, you know, beyond being helped? Or have you created like a, a workflow that kind of works for everybody? Yeah, there's, I mean, talent managers are an integral part of the ecosystem. Right. We interface with talent managers all the time for various mm-hmm. activations. Yeah. And certainly the way our platform was previously set up, Mm -hmm. um, it was only allowing kind of one point of contact, right? Right. Like influencer or the talent manager, if the talent manager has signed up the influencer. Mm -hmm. Um, We're actually in the process of beta testing a view and a tool for Mm -hmm. talent managers to leverage the platform, which we're pretty excited about. This enables smoother communication, but also provides tools for the talent managers to kind of quickly pull metrics if they need it quickly spit out a beautiful casting deck. Right. Um, Instead of manually creating a new one every single time. Correct. And having them saved and like being able to and have the metrics kind of update. You Mm -hmm. can curate what images that you want to show. So if you're pitching a particular influencer for a skincare brand, you may curate certain images and not other images. Right. And you can control what metrics that you want to share yeah. as well. So that's something that we're currently testing with a number of partners mm-hmm. um, and excited to kind of see, you know, what the reception is. But sure. certainly we want to make sure that different players in this space mm-hmm. um, can benefit from the Activate platform. Mm-hmm. And and how will integrating the talent managers into this flow make things better for everybody involved? I think that, you know, what we've seen, you know, like we said earlier, the the base of influencers has really widened. Yeah. Like the, the influencers that are getting opportunities, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot more mid-tier um, 
micro influencers that, that are getting opportunity. And we're also seeing a lot of, you know, boutique, smaller talent management agencies popping up and representing the folks, right, that, right. that are getting these opportunities. At that level, what we're also seeing is one talent manager may be repping more talent and oh, needing yeah. to scale that a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they also need some sort of technology support. Yeah. Um, so often we talk about the brands and the influencers and you forget about the folks who are making it happen in the in-between. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot to have to handle um, right, with yeah. regards to. And so if if you're able to use IRM, influencer relationship management, to yeah. store specific pieces of information as a talent manager, which yeah. you're constantly getting calls like, hey, who in your roster has a rescue dog? Yeah. Um, you know, mm-hmm. who in your roster is, you know, uh, has two kids? Yeah. You know, you know, things like that. Like if those are things that are coming up and again and again, if mm-hmm. you are able to kind of store that information in a centralized place, everyone on your team is able to access that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're able to kind of create customized casting decks. Like this is the rescue dog group of, right. you know, of influencers. Yeah, you yeah, can easily yeah. share that out. It saves a lot of time yeah. and you can be more efficient about pitching your talent. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. You can make these connections better. You can do a better job Visually, on both sides, yeah. right? You can be more responsive to brands mm-hmm. and you can be more responsive to your, you know, talent, your roster yeah. of talent. Yeah. yeah. No, that's incredible. So you guys sit at this interesting nexus in between brands and influencers and their talent managers and whatnot. What are some of the biggest pain points that you're seeing on the brand side of things right now when it comes to influencer marketing? Like what mm. are people complaining about? You know, I think that there's certainly kind of ongoing questions about mm-hmm. audience quality. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, yeah. what, you know, am I, Who's you know, buying? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and what does that look like? Right. There's concerns about social platforms, you know, depressing organic reach, yep. um, in mm-hmm. some ways. For sure. Um, there's, you know, broadly speaking, it's, it's really the fact that influencer marketing as a channel it's just not as, you know, you're not pressing a button and shooting a bunch of programmatic ads out there. So yeah. it's just not as easy as some of the other channels. Because it, there are um, people involved. It's people, yeah. yeah. And some days, like, they might have a bad day. They might have had been at the hospital taking right. care of their kid. Right. Like, it, right. I mean, you just don't, life happens. Yeah. It's not like Facebook, which is usually always on and, you know, <laughs> you know you're going to get X number of impressions and it's going to happen on time. Yeah, like, but you're needing to scale something that involves people. By the same token, because you are tapping into people and tapping into personal stories, it's that much more impactful. Yeah, so much and more so powerful. Yeah. How do you do that? So, I mean, yeah. that's ultimately the biggest pain point, I think. Sure. Um, yeah. And how do you find the right people? How do you, you know, do things in a scalable way, in a yeah. measurable way? And how do you know it's reaching the right folks? Sure. Other questions that come up again and again is like, what should I be paying? You know, how yeah, should I be rates. thinking about pricing? Sure. There's a lot of opaqueness in terms of pricing in For this sure, space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very negotiated. Um, and rightfully so, I think. Yeah. Because two people with 100,000 followers... Aren't the same. Aren't the same, mm-hmm. right? Especially if I'm going after a very specific niche. I'm going mm-hmm. after dog owners who also own mm-hmm. Mac laptops, mm-hmm. but also like to go for long walks on the beach. Yeah. And there's a small circle, like maybe they can command higher 
higher rates than yeah. somebody who, you know, doesn't. But how do you prove that? Yeah, and how do you... How does the influencer prove that? And, and how, how do does, you price it out? Yeah. Right? It's yeah. not it's not a CPM type thing where it's like, hey, I pay, you know, $3 per yeah. thousand impressions. It's, it's a very kind of convoluted way of doing things, which is good and bad, right? It causes a lot of headache, but there is also a lot of value to be captured on either side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think something that certainly a lot of brands are thinking about it this way today, but you know, for, for quite some time it was, you know, they weren't, they were just thinking about, yeah, to your point, like CPM, reach, right, impressions, yeah, reach, right? Yeah. Which I completely understand coming from the finance world. Like right, I want yeah. everything to be measured, right? Yeah, give but, me all the data. <laughs> <laughs> but keep in mind what you are purchasing when it comes to influencer is the creation of that content. Right. You're paying for the model, you're paying for the photographer, you're yep. paying for the copywriter, yeah. the rights to that content, and then mm-hmm. it gets distributed to a very specific audience You're not on your buying behalf. a 30-second ad spot yeah. on NBC in yeah. between, you know, uh, is the voice on NBC? I think it is, right? I don't know. I, I don't watch. I haven't watched TV in a while. I don't while. watch TV. Yeah, yeah, right. Everybody's on Netflix right now. But, but it's not the old school, like, I'm buying this much space in a magazine or yeah. I'm buying, you know, a spot on TV. This, yeah. is, this is so different because not only are you getting access to an audience, but you're also getting access to a storyteller. Yeah. You're getting access to the content producer, the copywriter. It's So it's more than just, you know, hey, I want to advertise, uh, you know, at this time slot for 30 seconds on this network. It's, yeah. it's very different. And it's also, there's certain things that you can do with an influencer that you cannot do from pure brand messaging, like from pure, mm-hmm. you know, like so. Like, like what, for example? So an example would be, you know, when a brand is partnering with a nonprofit to do something big. And, you know, yes, you can put out a press release like you're partnering with UNICEF or whatever it is. Uh Great. Pat yourself on the back, right? But (laughs) if you're able to partner with people, with influencers Mm -hmm. that are also part of this partnership with you and able to talk about their experience, that is much more compelling and interesting, I think, of a story than brand X. UNICEF, right? right? Like whatever that kind of promotion is. Marketing yeah. and advertising has has always happened. As long as there's as long as there have been products mm-hmm. to sell, people <laughs> have needed to market and advertise, and they're always looking for more impactful ways to do it. Yeah. And so influencer marketing has gotten a bad name in some respects, mm. and, and there have been points in time where people have abused the number of followers they have and yeah. and their where they're situated in the industry. But on the whole, this is a really interesting and new way to promote your products, mm-hmm. and it is more impactful than buying a 30 second spot on NBC. Yeah. Because you do, the other thing that I thought was really interesting when you were talking about it on the platform that you guys have is you're allowing people to come forward with their stories about a brand, Mm -hmm. meaning they actually get to set the narrative as opposed to a brand has to hire an ad agency to create the ad, you know, Mm -hmm. the old Mad Men style. (laughs) Like now the actual consumer can tell the story, yeah, right? And they have a following of people who are ostensibly like them in some way, yep. right? So now all of a sudden you're not only outsourcing like the creative portion, but you're also outsourcing the storytelling yeah, yeah. and the direction and all of that. And that's, I think, what makes it so impactful. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Like sometimes the brand will say, "Well, I never even thought that this this could be the direction this could go." Oh, so you've seen yeah. this actually yeah. happen where the influencers have come forth give, with something. Yeah, given a yeah. perspective that maybe the brand didn't even have. Yeah, help them tell their story. Yeah, better. we we uh, we were working with a toothpaste brand where wait we had... a second, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> toothpaste been around toothpaste. a long time. We're still discovering new ways to tell a story about toothpaste. This is, I mean, I I don't think anyone expected it to go in this direction, but you know we had an influencer that was creating yoga videos while brushing oh, incredible. her teeth, you know? So just and, multitasking. And it just performed really well. It's funny. Yeah, it, yeah. Like, and it took off and, and it became something that, you know, the, the brand was super excited about. The, uh, and cool. certainly was not dictated by, by no. the brand. Yeah. Um, we have also had situations where, you know, maybe the brand wants to kind of set a general direction of mm-hmm. like, hey, this is the general direction of what, you know, we want to talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm just like freedom, for example, like yeah. meaning, Fourth you know, of July. Yeah, yeah, something right. like that. Like, <laughs> right. well, how do you create your own content, giving that freedom to create that content, but making mm-hmm. sure it ladders up to an overall theme? Uh-huh. Um, so sure. there's different ways to kind of maneuver around that. Uh-huh. Um, but yes, in some cases, it's literally free for all. Let's see what we get. And you get some really great crowdsourced ideas. That's incredible. Yeah. So when, when brands come to you and, and say, hey, we need a little help getting kind of on the right track, how do you... How do you guide them in terms of straddling that line between giving too much guidance mm. and giving too much freedom? Because obviously anarchy is not great, but mm-hmm. kind of regimented, this is exactly how you want to do it. You got to find somewhere in between. Yeah. Like how do you suss out the proper balance between the two such that you get those wonderful ideas, but yeah. you also get kind of the brand direction that the brand is thinking about? Yeah. I think, you know, when you're doing a more scaled program, you certainly want to provide a, a little bit more overall structure. So there's too. cohesion. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't feel like people are just going off in crazy directions, right? right? right. Yeah. Um, but maybe that overall direction, you can subdivide it up into like a few key themes mm-hmm. and allowing the creator the freedom to choose which to go after. Yeah. Almost giving them a little bit of guidance, but giving sure. them kind of that editorial power at the end of the day to mm-hmm. decide what will perform well for them. Yeah. That's helpful for a lot of programs because we we love looking at the end, looking as we move through that program which themes performed well, Yeah. what engaged well, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes there is this breakout right. and that informs the next program. Yeah. So there's that ability to kind of really like test like content formats mm-hmm. and, and, and content direction. Yeah. You know, when I say content formats, like we've had where we're including more about the influencer yeah. versus more about the brand, right? Okay. And testing yeah. that and seeing how that goes as well. So, so yeah, so that's something that we think about and we want to provide... We, we never advise to kind of script. Yeah. That just right. never really works. Um, I think well, most people... you're using people, influencers for a reason, right? Yeah. You're using them because they know their audience better than anybody. Yep. Right? It doesn't matter. You know, you could have as many analytics as you want. I guarantee you an influencer spent more time posting and tracking yeah. the performance of their posts yeah. than any data will ever be able to tell you. Yeah. Right? And so if you over script it, you're losing some of the magic that you came to influencer marketing for. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But let's let's flip the script a little bit here for a second and talk about the biggest complaints that brands have when it comes to influencers themselves, like influencers as partners. So this is an opportunity for you to give a little advice to influencers on how to 
best partner with brands. So what are the things that brands say, oh, this was terrible, like it really hurt the relationship or this yeah. is what it wasn't? What are some of the things that you hear? I think that when things go wrong, it's typically because, you know, either things aren't set up right up front okay. where timelines aren't very clear mm-hmm. or content direction and sure. guidance wasn't very set, you know, in which yeah. case you might have a divergence of like expectations right. from both sides. Okay. Um, in terms of specifically like from brands, like things that the biggest complaint is, I would say, timelines. Hitting your um, deadlines. Hitting the deadlines, not yeah. going dark, right? Ooh, or, yeah. you know, you know, like flaking out and, and just oh, being MIA. Yeah. Yeah. This is a business relationship. That's this right, isn't yeah. this um, isn't getting dinner with your friends. <laughs> yeah. I mean there's <laughs> you know, there's a contract, there's right. uh, a scope of work, right. there's you know, oftentimes financial payment. Um yeah, big you know, and so yeah. and when you partner with a brand, the brand has very specific dates and things they need to hit. If yeah. they're launching a product, it needs to go out <laughs> when the product is launching. Right. Um, Two weeks later, doesn't do anybody any good. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think that is something that comes up and, and certainly we want to manage around that and be very careful. Um, yeah. A lot of that can be managed away by setting things up right yeah. from the beginning. I yeah. think that's that that you hit the nail on the head there. I think that getting things outlined at, at the beginning, making mm-hmm. it all very clear yeah. and having a certain expectation mm-hmm. on both sides that we're all going to hit. Because the other thing is the brand has to deliver the product on time. Yeah. They have to review things on time. Yep. It's a two-way street, yep. right? Everybody's got to participate. We're in this together. We all want to achieve the same thing. Yeah. And so... You got to come ready to work because that is what it is. It's a business relationship. This yeah. is, you know, this is not super fun, happy playtime. Like <laughs> maybe it is. It is but work. You have to, you have yeah. to deliver. There's expectations, and it has knock-on effects because good influencers will get more business from the same folks. It's a hundred times more expensive to go Correct. win a new client than keep an existing client. Yep. So if you deliver, it could result in a lot more business. Yeah. I, I mean, we always say like over deliver. Like if right. you're, if you're really happy with this collaboration, like as an influencer mm-hmm. and if you're, if you find the opportunity to kind of do a little bit extra, yeah. certainly it's very, very appreciated by the brand yeah. and you really start to build a relationship with, right. with the brand. Like mm-hmm. it's not this like tit for tat situation, no. but you're like really kind of you're, you're, you're providing, yeah, you're providing yeah. your all. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously my wife is an influencer. She's yeah. become really good friends with a lot of the brands that she works with and yeah. the people on those teams, right? Because at the end of the day, it's not a monolithic brand. Yes. It is people on teams yep. trying to do their jobs yep. well. Yep. And we lose sight of that. And that's yep. why these relationships are so important. And, you know, people that are, you know, running uh, a marketing team at one brand, you know, if if they're no longer at that brand, they're going to another brand and right. running marketing there. Yeah. And so they're not going to work for NASA. Right? They're <laughs> going to go do what they know how to do. They're going to do more marketing yeah. and they're going to bring their expertise with them and, and their contacts and their with Rolodex. them. Their Rolodex. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to reach back out to the people who always delivered for them. Yep. Let's talk a little bit about data from mm-hmm. the brand's perspective. What do they ask for? What is it that they want to see? Audience data continues to come up more and more. I think okay. being thoughtful about, well, who is it that, um, you know, especially if you're, so for example, if you're an alcoholic 
beverage brand. Yeah. And you need to be LDA compliant mm -hmm. and you need to have, you know, over 72% of the audience be above, you know, 21. Right. Um, you know, that's, you know, something that I think like is coming up more and more. Sure. Location, household income of yeah. the audience, right? All of that sure. certainly coming up more and more. A lot of requests about conversion. Okay. Um, you know, sales data. Like, yeah. You know, I think that's natural, right? It's a little bit tricky for, for, for sure. you know, because oftentimes as an influencer, if you've worked with other brands and you've driven conversions, you may not know. Um, mm -hmm. The brand may not share that with you. Right. So or, do you act as a conduit then for for that information to go back and forth so that We try to push for that as much as we can. And we yeah. try to bring that into the fold as much as we the, can. The dirty little secret is a lot of times brands don't even know themselves during yeah. the campaign. I mean, attribution is a oh. little bit tricky. I, I've had so many conversations with marketers about what we've seen, honestly, and this is a this is a hypothesis, but, mm -hmm. you know, influencer creating this amazing content, building up a brand, for, uh, building up the, you know, brand awareness, telling the yeah. story, driving some traffic, driving some conversions, yeah. but oftentimes the brand is then taking that content, repurposing it for a paid social ad right. that is then retargeted to a certain audience that right. drives the sales. Right. Um, uh -huh. You know, and that's is that hijacking mm -hmm. some of the sales? <laughs> but it's, even simple things, like as an example, uh, I follow the Yummer Time guys. Yeah. Right. And they posted about Bonobos the other day. Yeah. And I swiped up to go to, and I was on my phone. I was yeah. like, all right, you know, like this would be attributed to them. But yeah. I didn't find what I was looking for on my phone. I needed to go to my desktop. Yeah. Right. They That's influence not, yeah. it, but they don't get credit nope. for that, right? Nope. Even when the technology is set up perfectly, I click from a blog via an mm -hmm. affiliate link to, I mean, sometimes it just doesn't work, right? And I, I think there's some stat about, I don't know, 10 to 15 to 20% of all affiliate sales actually don't get counted properly. Yeah. Like, that's not, I, I think that number is overinflated. I don't think it's that many. But still, even when things are set up perfectly, it doesn't always it doesn't always track perfectly. Well, and also the publishers that benefit from affiliate the most are the ones that are offering discounts. Yes. That are offering, right? right? And mm -hmm. so, That's right. you know, as a brand, when you're looking at, oh, this publisher, this creator performed particularly well, uh -huh. it could just be that someone that's constantly pushing sales, right? Yeah. And like if right. you are, um, or promotions, you know. It skews, it skews uh, the data. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it's attribution is super tough. And I think mm -hmm. there's so much, I mean, there's, uh, you know, and I, I hear a lot of chatter right now about the pendulum kind of swinging back. Like people got like super, super, especially with direct to consumer brands, like super, super hyped up about performance marketing and, and yeah. that, you know, that spend and like so much spend of certainly has gotten much more expensive over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And now there's renewed focus on earned media owned, you know, earned and owned essentially yeah. brand building things. Right. Yeah. And so, um, it's it'll be cyclical. interesting to see yeah. how, this, I mean, how this plays out. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cyclical, right? Yeah. Like anything short shorts are back by the way. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, you go back to the nineties and there wasn't a short short in sight for uh, amongst <laughs> the guy. Right. So it's just, yeah. these things are cyclical. We're cyclical beings. And you start to over-index in one way and then start to see the value that you left behind elsewhere. Yeah. I think the reality is it's got to be a balance between yeah. the two, right? You know, another good anecdote, a friend of mine um, at a direct-to-consumer brand, they were in the U.S. only. 
okay. uh, initially, right? Yeah. And they had built out their brand, their performance marketing, crushing it, Got right? Got their funnel going. Right? Yeah. yeah, everything's right. going well. Sure. And, and my friend's actually on the performance side. So she's, okay. she's been running their performance marketing, Facebook and Instagram advertising. Yeah. Um, they launched in Europe. Yep. And they started pushing out some performance marketing Super, super high cost of acquisition uh -huh. because there was no brand there. The minute they uh, yeah. started doing, um, they did like a press tour, they did sure. some influencer, they did some, yeah. you know, brand activities, events, yeah. launch events, things like that, mm -hmm. that cost came down. Yeah. And so, you know, how do you take a more balanced approach and yeah. more holistic and thinking about, you know, as the CMO, as, you know, thinking about where to allocate budget, mm -hmm. how do you be a little bit more thoughtful about that? Yeah. That's something that's super interesting to me yeah. um, because, you know, influencer is still like one sliver of it. And, and how do we fit in against all of that? It's, you know, always really interesting. We're, I think as a species, we're super susceptible to hype. And mm. again, over-indexing and getting pushed too far to one side as opposed to maintaining a balance. Even yeah. when somebody's saying you should spend 100% of your marketing budget on paid marketing, on, on performance marketing, right? And it, it's the same thing now. Like, I don't think brands should be putting everything that they have in influencer marketing, but I think there should be a big piece of their budget that should be in it. Yeah. It should be in paid marketing and then also just normal brand marketing and yeah. media, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Google and Facebook, I mean, Google, you know, being the other mega, you know, you know, taking in a ton of budget with regards to performance. Yeah. Um, Although losing share these days to Amazon, believe it or not. But uh, yeah. yeah. But it's, it, I don't know if you saw this, um, there's a piece out there about um, for search for AdWords that so many brands were just paying for their own brand yeah. name. So all it was doing was like you were paying for people to be lazy to not scroll down to click on the right. organic result, which you would be the first result anyway. So you were paying for that. A it, little like bit crazy. of crazy. It, it's crazy, but a little bit of it is protecting poachers because what'll happen, and I've seen this all the time. I mean, I see it a lot vis-a-vis -vis tech products yeah. in particular. So you're looking to do some sort of database software, mm. right? But for beginners, let's say, mm -hmm. and you look at like Airtable, Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Like if you search for a specific brand, Airtable will try to jump over them. Yeah. And try to take their spot. So yeah. people are spending on their own brands. And what you'll find is that in partnership agreements, like there are explicit clauses where you can't jump over us on in search engine marketing. Mm. You can't bid against us. Interesting. Because that's an interesting way of it's it's a clear indicator, right? If I'm an yeah. insurance company, if I'm Geico, yeah. right, and somebody searches for a different insurance company. I'm going to try to get in on that. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's, 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 sometimes it's just a defense Just mechanism. a defensive thing. Yeah. I mean, I wonder though, like what percentage of searches when you're typing in the exact company name, yeah. is it like the intention to just go find Geico? Right, Or right. is it so like you you're just in past. the market and you're not sure if you want Geico? That's a great, right? that's a great And if it's 80%, like how much are you spending to protect your, you know? Yeah, um, that's so, really interesting. Yeah, but that's interesting. I, I didn't think about it as that defensive move. Yeah. But certainly there was, there was some analysis that came out, I think, like six months ago about this, yeah. and I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, no, that is fascinating. Getting back to the original <laughs> part, we got off topic there, an awesome, awesome kind of segue. But back to the metrics, how can I as an influencer, mm -hmm. me with my 800 followers, uh, <laughs> how can I best position myself vis-a-vis -vis the metrics, right? What can I be doing? 
I think it needs to be a combination of metrics and story, to be honest. So the metrics, being able to showcase your audience data, being able to showcase performance of your content, whether it's engagement with that content, the types of comments that you're garnering, um, being able to show you're having a true conversation with your audience, I think is really impactful and more and more brands are looking at that. And then there's, um, we pull a metric like percentage of sponsored content. That is, that is something that brands are looking at more now. What's the, what's the right balance? We've seen kind of 30% being kind of like a line that, you know, people seem to orient around. Quite frankly, I don't think it should be like the rule. It maybe it's general guidance. Um, We've worked with creators that are well over that, that have performed extremely well and are awesome, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But not every influencer can pull that off. Sure. So, you know, you You can't. You got to do what's right for you. Yeah. So, your um, audience will tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They'll be like, oh, God, another sponsored post. But, yeah, yeah, um, those are some of the metrics. I'm trying to think. The other piece that's coming up more and more um, is sentiment that is being, um, you know, driven by. This is really more after the content's been published. And what do you mean by sentiment? So are you driving like, that's cute comments, or are you driving, how much is this? Or where can I purchase? Or I've been thinking about getting that. How do you like it? So it's almost more Consideration and intent. Uh, Yeah, that's the big one. The other thing that we measure for is skepticism. Um, You know, like, does that really work? You know, like, so we scan for that sort of reaction to content at scale. collate that mm-hmm. and able to kind of tease out, certainly if, it, if there's a skeptical remark, being able to kind of show the brand, like what are those skeptical remarks? Yeah. It's not necessarily reflecting badly on the influencer, no. but that's how the feedback. consumer is, is reacting. Yeah. But being able to show like impact mid-funnel and we yeah. were talking about measurement. Yeah. You know, there's upper funnel and there's right. like last click, right? Sure. Um, you lose a lot of stuff in between. But like mm-hmm. if you're able to say, hey, 30% of the engagement with all of this content that's being published as a part of this program yeah. drove consideration and intent, yeah. that's pretty powerful and it gives you a set semblance of kind of like how it's impacting various parts of the funnel. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that's fascinating. Well, before I let you go, <laughs> I want two pieces of advice, one for brands and one for influencers. On the influencer side, what can I do to best prepare myself for the next five years and building a business as an influencer? I think for for influencers, like really digging into your content. I think yeah. that's the core of everything, uh-huh. right? A brand wants to partner with you because you're artful at creating content that connects with your audience. When you say digging into your content, what do you Understanding mean by that? Understanding what do you really want to be talking about? What are yeah. you really passionate about? Yeah. Um, what your audience is reacting well to, um, being thoughtful and testing that. um, Because over time, that may change. Um, You may find that different content may perform better or worse on different channels. I do think the other thing to think about for influencers is diversifying. Um, So you're not putting all your eggs in one social platform basket. (laughs) Um, That's super important. As the outages Um, last week would tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, having more than one, you know, a couple of channels, Certainly you don't need to be on all of them, but um, having a few places where you have content and you have audience, if you can build your own owned audience yeah, as well. I think absolutely. that's, you know, whether it's a newsletter or a website or a blog, yeah, you know, I know people yeah. don't talk about blogs as much anymore, but that's, that's your own, you know, platform. Yeah. And so I think mm-hmm. that's super important for brands. 
in thinking about influencer, it's not like this alien marketing channel. This no. is like any, this is a marketing channel. There are ways that you can do influencer marketing really well. Yeah. And there are ways that, like the way you have a shitty TV ad. Yeah. I don't know if I was allowed to do that, but, or, <laughs> you're fine. Uh, or you have a wonderful television ad, right? right yeah. So there it's some the core same principles. thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you still need to optimize and test and you need yeah. to be thoughtful about how you measure and all of those things. It's not like this magical button. Like, oh, influencers are gonna like drive crazy word of mouth for my brand. Press yeah. this button, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so I think that's like keeping that in mind, and so thinking about it strategically and having having structure around how you're tapping into influencers, I think is important. Knowing yeah. upfront like what you're looking for. Like if you're yeah. looking for someone to drive traffic right. to your, you know, let's be upfront like? yeah. about that because yeah. an influencer, you know, I mean, not every. But like, you know, we've had conversations where like, hey, this is unrealistic in terms yeah. of expectation yeah. or maybe you should be working with a different subset right. of creators yeah, yeah. or your content should have a different call to action yeah, if you're sure. looking for this. So okay. being really clear up front, um, I don't know how many times where, you know, maybe a goal or a KPI have changed midway through a program. <laughs> it happens, right. So, yeah. you know, the more you can be clear up front, it's helpful for the partnership with the influencer. It's right. also helpful for how you really build and strategize the program itself. 100%, yeah. yeah. And if I'm an influencer and I'm a brand and I want to work with Activate, where do I go? Oh, try.activate.social. Try.activate.social. Well, Camus, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome to have you. Thanks again to Camus for joining us today on Influencer Business. If you haven't had a chance to check out the Activate platform, I really recommend that you head over to try.activate.social and check it out. It's an awesome platform, uh, great for both marketers and influencers alike. I really quickly want to recap the conversation that we had with Camus. It was an awesome conversation, a lot of really interesting points. The first point I thought that was really interesting is, is that it's not just about the influencer and the brand being a good fit. It's also about the timing being right. And that's why platforms like Activate are really important because if a company like Street Easy is looking to partner with an influencer, they want to find an influencer who's actively moving, who's actually looking for a home or for an apartment. And that's where this third dimension of time comes into play because it actually creates a more compelling story and a better collaboration and something that's going to work better for both the influencer and the brand and it's going to feel more organic. So that's a key component of a collaboration and a partnership. And that's why a platform like Activate is so important because they facilitate discovery that is really hard to manage otherwise. So the second thing I wanted to talk about was actually more of a theme, kind of an undercurrent that underpinned most of our conversation. We're at a really interesting time in the marketing landscape where the consumers are actually becoming the marketers, right? We're past that Mad Men era where, you know, these massive offices on Madison Avenue are dictating what the consumer sees and hears from a branding perspective. The influencers who are consumers themselves are actually being able to dictate the storytelling that brands are doing. I mean, she gave that great example of somebody who was doing yoga poses while brushing their teeth, a really creative way of coming up with an interesting brand story. And it's just a wonderful time to be in marketing because it's pretty incredible where these deep connections between brands and influencers are coming to life and giving audiences and consumers really interesting brand stories that wouldn't have existed and haven't existed in previous eras. So it's pretty special to be a part of that. 
The third thing I wanted to pull out was that as an influencer going forward, it's not just about the data. It's going to be a mix of data and storytelling because the stories that you put together matter. What people are saying in your comment section matters. It's really important that you get both the data and the storytelling right, and that will give you the most powerful platform. The fourth thing I wanted to pull out was a key concern that a lot of brands have. One of the chief complaints that she hears is that things aren't run on the timeline that was agreed to at the beginning. That's a really important point. It's a very clear grading system that brands can use when evaluating their collaborations and partnerships with influencers. Did they make the deadlines or didn't they? So at the outset, get everything set up, make sure it's clear, and then hit those deadlines. This is a business relationship, right? This is your business. You are representing yourself, your brand, so you have to treat it as such. And there may be some days where you don't want to get out of bed, or there may be some days where it might feel a little bit harder, or you've got a million things going on. But keep your focus on making sure you hit your timelines, because when the collaboration or partnership is over and people are reflecting on it, that will be one of the first things that comes to mind. And as Camille mentioned, this is a small industry. And so one day, somebody might be at a specific brand. Another day, they might be at another brand. Word travels fast. The industry is small. So make sure that you are doing yourself a service by putting your best foot forward and creating the best brand and creating the best reputation for yourself in the industry. The final thing that I wanted to pull out of the conversation we had with Camille was, that was one of the last things that she said. Focus on your content. Be thoughtful about it. Test it. And, and, and really start putting out content that you're passionate about because ultimately that is what brands come to partner with you for. They're looking for a storyteller. They're looking for somebody who's connected to their audience, who knows their audience. So when in doubt, focus on your content, invest in it, and you will be surprised at the amount of ROI that you see, the return that you see on that content, not only in terms of partnerships or collaborations or brand relationships that you have, but also in terms of the community that you're able to build. As always, if you like what you heard today on the podcast, make sure you leave us that five-star rating and give us a glowing review. We always appreciate it. And make sure to check out trovebusiness.com. We have everything that you could ever need to help you run your business more efficiently. Big shout out to Pete Crimi, who always makes us sound better over the podcast than we do in person. Once again, thank you for joining us this week on Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Scudelari, and we'll see you next time.